Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Mario Doulet about the effects of apathy after a traumatic brain injury. Today's episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion rehabilitation, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in Minnesota. They've greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Also, I just want to remind everyone, if you haven't already heard, we have the Brain Health Online Summit lined up for June 5th through 9th. This is a free online event with over 20 presenters talking about brain health um, after a traumatic brain injury. But you do need to be registered, so please go to thebrainhealthonlinesummit.com for more information and to register. Again, that was thebrainhealthonlinesummit.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to the Faces of TBI podcast, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injuries, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Brain Injury Advisory Council. And I also released my first book, Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. You can learn more about me at facesoftbi.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. Today, I have an amazing guest for you guys. We have Dr. Mario Doulet, and Dr. Doulet conducts neuropsychological assessments on adults with various neurological diseases, including dementia and traumatic brain injury, in the Department of Neurosurgery at the Houston Methodist Hospital. He provides cognitive rehabilitation treatments, works with families of individuals with cognitive issues, and determines patient disability status for benefits. In association with the Houston Methodist Concussion Center, he provides evaluations of patients of all ages who've experienced sports-related or other types of concussive injuries. He is also an assistant professor at the Wheel Cornell Medicine Department of of Neurological Surgery, adjunct assistant professor of psychology at the University of Houston, and director of the Houston Institute for Neuropsychological Knowledge, or THINK Lab. So welcome to the show, Dr. Doulet. I am so thrilled to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I, you know, today we are talking about apathy. And I attended, um, I presented at the Texas Brain Injury Symposium in Austin this past, I think it was December, and I got to hear you speak, and you talked all about apathy, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I need to have this guy at my podcast. <laughs> so I'm so thrilled <laughs> yeah. to have you here. 
And I would love to have you, you just kind of start off by talking about what apathy is because I think um, so many people don't really know what – I know I didn't know what it was for like a year. And when I found out what it was, I was like, oh, exactly what I, what's happening with me. <laughs> so I would love yes. to have you kind of just explain what apathy is, what, how it presents itself. Sure. So um, apathy is this decreased activity in someone who's, uh, who has a neurologic injury. So whether it be a degenerative disease or something acute that happens to you at a particular age in your life, like a, a traumatic brain injury. And really apathy is characterized by four different things. Uh, that I'll define. Um, apathy is characterized by decreased initiation, something called noncompliance, which physicians like to use that term, uh, diminished motivation, and decreased drive. And all of those terms have, I'd say, hundreds of psychologists studying you know, those terms, but I'm going to sim- simplify it um, to get rid of some psychobabble. Um, so decreased is- initiation refers to this um, physical, mental, or motor act of beginning something. And so when it's decreased, you're not actively engaging in things in life. Um, Noncompliance, meaning that uh, people aren't following up on recommended treatment, whether it be not taking their medicines. So that's a a sign or symptom of apathy. Um, Diminished motivation, uh, that refers, uh, the psychological um, idea of that is that it's Um, not going towards goal-directed behaviors, such as not eating, looking for a job, or seeking social interactions. Um, And then the last one, decreased drive, is uh, drives are motivational factors, such as hunger and thirst, that motivate us to do something. And when you have apathy, uh, apathy is characterized by not going towards those drives. So that's the long-winded so, answer to what apathy is. <laughs> well, no, that was great. Um, so, you know, you talk about decreased initiation, decreased desire to do things. Um, I like how you kind of mentioned the non-compliant because I think a lot of doctors write off people as being non-compliant, but they really just kind of have apathy, right? So, like... It, Exactly. So, sorry to cut. That's a great point. I mean, often in my job, what I'm doing is I'm trying to protect the patient um, from their loving family members, from the doctors who really want to help them to better understand why someone isn't doing something like taking their medicines or, you know, they appear to be amotivated, but in reality, there's other reasons why, um, uh, you know, some of those things could be not organized due to a brain injury or overwhelmed by, you know, the television and and arguing in in the home. And so what ends up happening is the person looks noncompliant because they didn't take their medicine. There's so many other reasons uh, for that noncompliance. Right, right. And, you know, I know for the first, oh, God, year and a half, I mean, I still struggle with some apathy, but, like, I just – I would just be totally, like, exhausted, and I just, like, I knew I had to do the laundry. Like, I haven't done laundry in two weeks, right? And I haven't done dishes in two weeks. And I know I have to do them, but I'm just like, I just, I don't want to. And, you know, I think 
often we get looked at as just being lazy or, you know, mm-hmm. lots of other terms we get called by caregivers. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's so fascinating to know that apathy is a real thing. It's, it's a real thing, and it, there's a biological basis to this problem. I often emphasize that at different talks I give or when I talk to family, just to try to take away this pressure on this person who's doing nothing wrong. They've had a brain injury or they have a disease that's affecting the part of the brain. I, it was almost unbelievable to find out when I did that there's a part of the brain that takes or determines whether we're going to be motivated, whether we're going to engage in life. And then when damage, the neurochemical and the biological damage to that then leads to not engaging in life. Um, and that's this idea of apathy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm making notes as you're talking. Um, not engaging in life. That's, that's a, great, um, a great phrase. And I think that so many people that are listening to this podcast probably relate to that. And often we get dismissed as having depression. And I know I had that happen. She wanted to put me on antidepressants. And I was like, I don't really yeah. think I'm depressed. I mean, like, I'm a little bit depressed, but I don't really think that's the problem. And, you know, this was before I knew what apathy was. Um, you so know, how do you combat that? Well, so, um, yeah, so it's great to be educated on uh, these practitioners and people with brain injuries. It's, it's, it's great to be educated on the idea that apathy and depression are two different things. That's the first way to combat it. So, um, you know, uh-huh. apathy, which I've described, is this decreased participation, reduced initiative, um, and, and I didn't mention this, but decreased emotional reactivity to things. So they're just not, you know, they're, they're not getting these different um, expected reactions. And depression um, similarly has those, and that's why physicians will sometimes or often start well, and family members will say, no, I think you're depressed. You know, you're, you're not doing things that you usually do. Uh, but depression, which isn't often in apathy, is characterized by sadness, feelings of guilt, negative thoughts, hopelessness, helplessness, um, anxiety, some suicidal thoughts. And, you know, I've been doing this for a while so, you know, I, I, can t- I always immediately look for the difference between the two because the interventions can be different. Um, the problem is, is that apathy, when you're depressed, you may have some apathy. When you're apathetic, you also may be sad. So, you know, and there's some overlap in that, right? Decreased joy, uh-huh. feeling slower than usual, not engaging activities. So um, going back to your question, what can you do, you know, being well-informed about the signs and symptoms of apathy versus depression is is where it should begin. And, you know, I also think, so I look at, especially early on, like going out in public, going to a restaurant, for instance, there's so much overstimulation, you know, there's lights, there's talking, there's TVs playing, there's music playing, and, and, you know, it's very overstimulating. And I think when you add that, and, and you also had apathy, you know, it kind of, it's no wonder we never want to leave the house or go anywhere or do anything, <laughs> right? Well, that's a wonderful <laughs> point. That's a wonderful point because, 
you know, the family's saying, hey, you know, they think it's depression. They say, hey, let's get out. Let's go do something enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And then, and you're trying to increase goal-directed behavior. They're trying to increase your your joy. And then you go to these places, and what it's, it's doing the opposite. You're so, you're flooded with information, you know, you're, and so you're actually decreasing the likelihood that someone will go out the next time. That was a great example. And, you yeah. know, ultimately... Ultimately, you know, educating the family who's – I only see the person for a couple of hours, maybe four to six hours, and make these recommendations. But, the, you know, the key is to help the person help themselves if, if their memory is okay enough to help themselves. Um, and then to get the families to better understand that there are these situations where they're going to – they're going to be flooded with information, that they're going to become more apathetic from the environment – and that they're also going to become more apathetic if you don't leave them alone, you know, if, they, if they're in chronic pain, if they're sleep-deprived, if they're really tired. There's so many factors, including uh, noisy, you know, uh, restaurants that can uh, worsen apathy. Yeah. Man, can we, like, duplicate you? <laughs> Everybody needs one of you. Um, oh, thank God, you. Those are just such great points. Like, you just, and, and you know, you're so right. The family has good intentions. I remember very, very early on, I was only, like, a couple days out from my accident, and my dad's like, well, let's let's run up to Target. Let's, let's you know, do you good to get out of the house. And, you know, I kind of agreed. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then you get to Target. <laughs> it's like, yeah. fluorescent lights and like all, you know, the aisles just full of stuff. And I mean, Target's my favorite store. Um, yeah. But it was just like, I told mom, I'm like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the family Thanks. means well, they do. And, and I can see where apathy does present as, like I can see where it presents as possibly like depression or non-compliant. You know, I can totally see that because I went through it myself and I knew something wasn't okay with me, but I mean, I knew that I had a brain injury, but, but I knew that like, why am I not motivated? Why can I not do the laundry? Like seriously. (laughs) Um, And it, you know, and I still have days like that. Yeah. And so, and that brings up a good point. I heard, I didn't know when your brain injury was, but 2014, you know, nobody knows what the trajectory of these difficulties are going to be. Will they stay with us forever? Will they, will they get better? And so, I mean, it's a good point that some of these issues, and you've probably talked about these things in previous podcasts, some of these things remain, they go away, they come back, you know, it's, and, they, and they're at different um, intensities. Um, I guess the question is, you know, what, what do you do when those things uh, reoccur? Um, people will beat themselves up about them. The laundry is a, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy to hear you using that same example. I have a couch at home right now with about three loads of laundry on there. And as a family of four, we always walk, we're walking by that right now. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not for me because of a brain injury, it's, but it is apathy. So, you know, there are some things that can be normalized. There's some con- things that, that are due to the brain injury. In your case, it's a mix of a few things, I'm sure. But um, I always like to share, though, that, um, you know, for family members to try to put them in their loved one's shoes. 
to try to help them understand what's going on and to give so that they'll increase the likelihood of giving their loved one a break. Because what happens is, you know, say someone had an injury at 25, there's 25 years of, you know, whether it be your parents or, you know, a fiancé that they've been treating you in a particular way. And now they're still, you know, in arguments or different things, they're still thinking that you're, you know, you've got this motivation to get to win a fight in a particular way when really it's the brain injury. So it's almost like not fighting fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, You know, like the laundry example, you know, it was (laughs) like, I knew that I had to do the laundry. I knew it had to get done. And it was just like, Oh gosh, just the thought of getting off the couch and putting it in the washing machine. I mean, it was just daunting. Um, And, I mean, like, laundry really isn't hard, right? (laughs) (laughs) No. And same with the dishes. Yeah. It's not too hard to put them in the washer. You know, the pain is folding them and putting them away is what it feels like. The (laughs) follow-through. True. (laughs) The true. Yeah. And, And, you know, and I just... I just remember always, like, so I, I was seeing a therapist, um, okay. uh, like, a couple months into my injury, I started seeing a therapist, and he would, he, and he, to this day, he still asks me, so what have you done for fun lately? And I hated yeah. that question. I hated it so much because nothing was fun, right? Like, I haven't done anything yeah. fun. Um, and and yeah. that has to be a chunk of that apathy, Right. Absolutely. I'm what you just said, I'm guilty of on a regular basis. You know, I, I say when in doubt, when you're not doing anything, why doesn't the family get together and do something enjoyable? But, you know, ap- a part of apathy is it's called anhedonia, which is a loss of joy. So that, you know, things that you used to enjoy, uh, things that just brought meaning in life, that's those things are diminished or they disappear because you're, you may no longer be goal-directed. You may not no longer have a hunger or desire to even engage in those joyful things. It's such a, you know, we when we think of meaning in life and defining meaning in life, we're defined by things that bring joy. Yeah. And, you know, it, and so there again, you know, kind of going back to the whole depression thing, I see how this is often misdiagnosed as depression, whether it's by the family or, or a medical clinician. Um, I can see yeah. how, how that happens. Um, yes. But I think this podcast is super important um, for everybody to listen to. Um, you know, and so what happens if you do go to the doctor? And like in my case, they wanted to put me on antidepressants. And I really, really wasn't interested. I'm like, you know, if I can't turn this around in six months, I'll consider it. But right now I want to try and be more natural. Um, but yeah. but I'm also more outspoken. <laughs> so <laughs> well, so that's what happens right. if someone does get put on antidepressants and they're just apathetic? So- Yes. So that, I think that's what, uh, what doctors start with is they, they try to look for the treatable causes of the person's complaints. Um, I like what you said about being outspoken because people should advocate for themselves. The physicians 
seem to dominate and dictate the, the 15 minute, you know, appointment. And I love when patients come in with questions they've written down. They come in, they say, you know what, you know, I really want to try different things, uh, supplements, uh, just different things to and and not take these medications because there are medication side effects for depression. Uh, um, and so, you know, I get that often. But I see what the I see where the physicians are coming from because they're looking for these interventions that they can treat. Um, you know, uh-huh. so they put someone on an antidepressant. They put someone on an antidepressant, and three months later, you know, the patient says, you know, this isn't working. And I and I understand. You know, it might have helped a small part of apathy by by getting rid of some of the um, overlapping symptoms with depression. But there's still somebody who's recovering from a brain injury. There's still someone who's tired and sleep deprived, and and yes. and really grie- grieving all the things they've lost in life, including not being able to go back to work at that time. So those interventions for depression yes. sometimes won't work because there's other factors. And so hopefully a good uh, intervention with the physician and other professionals will include treatments for. Uh, the underlying neurologic problem, comorbid issues such as pain and sleep deprivation. Um, and then if, if those uh-huh. things aren't working, you might try stimulants um, to improve initiation, or you might try other kinds of interventions uh, with a psychologist, a speech pathologist, or the other treatment team members. And how long would someone wait? Okay, so I know this is kind of a loaded mm-hmm. question because every brain injury is different, <laughs> but yeah. how long do you let someone just be apathetic before you do try to find alternatives? Does that make sense? Um, it does. I, you know, it's okay. really more, it's the idea of starting the interventions right away. I mean, the treatment that is the most effective treatments will will be based on what the cause is, right? And so you might mm-hmm. not know what the cause. You might not know it's depression or apathy, but there's it's tried and true in, in rehabilitation settings that sooner is better. Um, but there's yeah. one caveat, and and that's if people are confused, if they have other comorbid medical issues, because you can start treatments too soon and then they're not effective because the person wasn't in a, was a, a right medical, a state of medical, you know, uh, stability. Or they weren't, there's often, I'm going to use the word denial, I'm a psychologist, but um, this, this idea that there's nothing wrong, maybe they don't have an awareness of their troubles. It's not denial. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it appears to be yeah. denial to some of us. So you have to wait for the right yeah. time, and, and it's an individual, individual, you know, inter-individual uh, answer. And and that you know that's a great point too. The whole denial, because I have encountered many caregivers who are like my spouse or my child. They think they're fine, <laughs> and yeah. they're not. Um, yeah, and I I have seen that a lot too. Yeah, that's definitely um, a factor. <laughs> I I usually benefit from being the second or third person to see the patient in the family. So the first time the the physician or physiatrist will go in there. That's a rehab specialist for you know for these problems, and the patients or family will be you know they'll have this grief reaction, 
And then the other people will come in and then people will say, you know, well, I don't need this or this or that. And then I come in, you know, like I come in and say, hey, you may have these troubles, but they've already, you know, lashed out at every at the others if they were frustrated and angry with the system. And by the time I see them, all I do is listen and then, you know, act like I'm trying to help. I really am trying to help. And then they will trust me and rely on me. And But it's really that the denial or the unawareness has improved with time. And so I, I prefer coming in at, not at the beginning for that reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so, you know, and, I, you know, I, <laughs> I know what I'm trying to say, but I'm struggling with words here. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you have a loved one with apathy and – yeah. You know, they're being a couch potato. And mm-hmm. you think that they're just being lazy and and non-compliant. Um, you know, first of all, I think, I hope that they listen to this podcast and start to, to understand and become more aware that there maybe yeah. is something else going on. Um, but what would be your recommendation? Um, like, who would you encourage a family to reach out to um, if they're trying to seek some help for their, their loved one? So that's a great question. So um, in, in the example that you give, if it's, you know, if it's come to that point where it's obvious that the person is having trouble initiating or if they're having trouble going towards a particular uh, goal, then you might start with someone like me or a rehabilitation specialist like a speech pathologist a neuropsychologist or a psychologist to, uh, and it would be from a family approach where you, you start with the individual, you try to find out what's the cause of the problem. Is it due to disorganization? Is it due to, you know, apathy or depression? And you, and you start with an assessment um, determining what the person's strengths and weaknesses are. Um, with a speech therapist or a neuropsychologist, then you you find out about the family dynamics. Is, is the family is the family helping too much? Uh, you know, are they not there? Which can happen. Um, you know, so reduce so, social support or over social support. So then working with families to help educate them and understand that you because families love us so much that sometimes they want to do everything to the point where it's become an impediment to initiation. So then we try to find that out. And then you create, whether it be an individual intervention, a psychological or neuropsychological intervention with the person, um, and then a behavioral intervention for the, fan, for the, the home environment. Um, that's where I would, um, that's the process that I would go through. Start with uh, an assessment. Um, it could also be the physician, though, because this is biological. The person may not initiate mm-hmm. because they don't have the capacity to initiate. Great so like I said before, it could be psychostimulants. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are just about out of time. Um, but thank you right. so much, Dr. Dooley. This was, this was just fantastic. Um, I hope everyone <laughs> listening has gained a couple golden nuggets from this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Um, and how can people find you? Um, I guess the best way would be to... Google me. I hate to even say that out loud, but just Google me. Um, I'm at Houston Methodist. <laughs> Google Houston Methodist Hospital and Mario Dulay and uh-huh. Houston Methodist works really hard to 
to try to promote us on the Internet. So that would be the best way. And you can see my email Great. and phone number information from there. Perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Dulé. I really appreciate you taking the time to be part of this podcast. So thank you again. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I know I sure have. Um, and I also remind you, um, thanks again to our sponsor, Minnesota Functional Neurology, the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health rehabilitation in Minnesota, mnfunctionalneurology.com. And also another reminder to check out the, on the sorry, the Brain Health Online Summit.com and get registered for our free summit that is coming up in a couple weeks. So again, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of my journey. And I will see you guys all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.